Game Cognition, how we doing? Welcome in Monday episode of GC Live. I am Wes Mitchell. He is Chris Clark. This is, as always, brought to you by our good buddy Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. Go check out clinthammond.com for any and all of your mortgage needs. If you are in the market for a new home or maybe you're just thinking about making a first-time home buyer purchase, hit up Clint. He can help walk you through the process, tell you what you need to know, tell you what you don't need to know. 803-422-6797 is Clint's mobile phone. If you want to text him your Gamecock thoughts on the game, you can do that as well. Uh, NMLS number 71597. Email address is chammond at mortgagenetwork.com. Welcome in. Plenty to get to, Chris. We went into the weekend, at least I did, wanting new information to talk about. And uh, I felt like we've been talking about the same information for, I don't know, at least three weeks. So I was like, we need something new. We need some surprising things. We need some confirmations. We need some questions answered. The Gamecocks, as always, you get a little bit. You don't get the full picture yet, but we now have one game, one day, 60 minutes of data from South Carolina's 35-14 to 14 win over Georgia State. Chris, I exited Williams-Brice Stadium Saturday night feeling a little bit unsure of how I should feel. Um, <laughs> what are your first initial thoughts on the opener? You felt unsure of how you should feel. That That is actually perfect, even though it sounds kind of funny. Um, <laughs> there's a lot to unpack, man. And I, I think this is what I've come back to, and we're going to get more into the weeds of the actual game itself and what those things may mean. But my kind of big picture takeaway is, like, I agree with what you're saying. Um, we, you know, I think I predicted, keep forgetting, 31-17 Carolina in this game. So I predicted a 14-point margin and ended up being a little bit more than that. And I think some of the things that maybe I expected going into the game we saw, and I think there were some other things that maybe I didn't anticipate, you know, didn't certainly anticipate two special team scores and um, that many big plays on special teams. Maybe we should have. Maybe I should have. Um so there, there were some differences in terms of how they got there. The, the one thing that I thought going into the weekend was I thought South Carolina would end up winning comfortably later, later in the game, that it would become a comfortable win, which it was. Um, but I thought there would be some tense moments in the game, and there were. We, we saw both of those things. Uh, maybe it was a little bit different in terms of the path that I thought, but certainly there were some offensive struggles. There were a couple groany moments on defense and things like that. Um, that we were kind of laughing about going into the game, but, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I still don't know. I think we still have a lot to learn about this team. I'll put it that way. I don't know, even though we have a sample size and now we have some stuff on tape, so to speak, and some new information, as you said, I think there's still a lot more information to find out about this team. Sorry, y'all. We just, uh, my computer just, I don't know. Almost blew up in my face, I think. But I was clicking unmute, and it this was happened high. to me. Happened to me last last show, I think. So um, anyway, Chris, I thought stock up, Mitch Jeter. How about that? I'm and I'm I'm saying him first because somebody just mentioned him. But we went into this thing like, 
who knows what to expect from kicker. And, you know, there's two kickers, and I was, like, kind of thinking privately, well, if you have two, do you have one? You know what I mean? That whole thing of, like, if you have two, you probably don't have a guy. And Jeter goes out there and drills 250 yarders. So, um, stock up for him. Talk about a confidence booster for your kicker. Um, special teams overall, yes, you could not have anticipated – you can never predict two block punts, especially, um, you know, this is the first year Elliot, I believe, has had a true um, special teams coordinator. And so they had put that as a big focus going in. You could tell. I don't know how many of y'all watched Sean Elliott's postgame. Um, actually, quite a bit of you did. I can tell you that. That was one of our most viewed things over the weekend. People were very intrigued to hear from Sean Elliott. Chris, he looked like he was going to be sick when he was talking about their special teams miscue. And he made the comment, uh, hey, we played them toe-to-toe. You know, he felt like they played them toe-to-toe, offense and defense. And then what's the big, you know, difference maker there? Special teams, you give up two block punts. You give up a fake field goal for a first down. And I even, I didn't know, Chris, that they were going to fake it, but I was watching Shane Beamer's body language on the fourth, when it became fourth down. And uh, I said out loud, I said, they may go for this. Mm -hmm. You could just tell there was a little, not frustration, but the body language was like, I'm ready to score. And I'm not talking about kicking a field goal. So I thought they might just say, screw it, line up and go for it. And then next thing you know, they fake it, man. You knew they faked. They faked the PAT game one last year. <laughs> you know this is a group that is fully willing to be aggressive on special teams, and they faked the field goal on you down there. It was a short field goal, not one that you should have been really trying to block anyway necessarily early in the game. The two blocked punts. I mean, that as a, as impressive as it was from a South Carolina side miserable from a Georgia State side to feel like you're in the game, and they very much were, and you lose because of that. Um, Once again, Pete Limbo's special teams, Chris, proves to be a difference maker. Yeah, the the team, it's clear that the team is completely balled into special teams. There are a lot of coaches, you know, there's not a coach out there that's not going to sit in a press conference and say special teams is a third of the game. It's very important to us. We spend a lot of time on it. They're all going to say those things. I mean, you could just basically just copy and paste the answer. And Beamer is going to say similar things to that, but they live it out. And they the thing about how they practice special teams is it's not just like spending time on it and practice. It's kind of integrating – how they're going to play on special teams into everything they do, you know, so that such that a lot of the special teams drills are doing carry over to how they play offense and defense and vice versa. So it's really woven into the, the fabric, you know, of that moment. And you're right. Beamer, maybe a little frustration or, you know, antsiness, whatever it was, he kind of walked around, walked on the field, was looking around at everybody. And then, you know, finally sent the field goal on, but, they were extremely aggressive in the game. Obviously, they they wanted to – they're not always going for a block on the punt, but Shane Beamer mentioned they always wanted to pressure the punter one way or another. 
Um, they did that, you know, throughout the game, but they also came away with the two blocks. I think we almost forget not only the two punt blocks and the fake field goal, but, you know, they did have the one negative play with the bad snap, but they tried the onside kick also. I mean, just super aggressive. And you always have to be – I think teams that play South Carolina have to be on guard more than probably most other teams they play in terms of special teams. Maybe not – maybe it's not the electricity of the returners, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but just being constantly worried that you're schematically going to get beaten, you know, and then get beaten and ex- – it's not just the scheme. The players do a really good job of executing it, which goes back to – the way they're being taught to do it and how much of an emphasis it is. Well, and that in itself is an advantage for you because maybe you force an opponent each week to spend a little extra time preparing for stuff like that. I mean, I've always heard coaches say offensively, you know, maybe you give teams a look or a trick play, not even necessarily to hit in that circumstance, just to give them something else to prepare for and look for. But um, I, I thought, Chris, that that's something – you have to be aware if you're a South Carolina's opponent that that could be coming. That in itself maybe opens up another opportunity for you in special teams. Maybe you get a better return because they're so worried about, you know, protecting against a punt block potentially. Um, let's see. Uh, we, we've got some really good comments so far, Chris. Um, the KC Shug uh, says, just the first game, Rattler in a new system. Overall, I was pleased. We didn't show everything on offense. O-line needs to be better. Um, there was another comment and something something I have thought about, Chris, that I haven't verbalized yet. And I, I wasn't I wasn't even necessarily gonna say it, but I will because it, it's gonna sound kind of like an excuse, but um Brandon makes a good point. Um he said uh, I struggle I struggled to be elated with special teams and I don't quite – I'm going to fix this for you, Brandon. I think he's elated with special teams, but deflated by blocking. Um, but should we think of special teams cannibalizing offensive opportunities? Yet, there, you know, you did take away a couple of opportunities late for the offense to get a possession and score by just blocking the punt and scoring yourself. So, yes, valid to say you scored 35 points but two of the touchdowns were by the special teams units. It's worth noting it did it gives you two less possessions, I guess. Now, however, we don't know if the offense would have scored or not scored in those two possessions, and it doesn't change the fact, let's go into some of the less than pretty things now, Chris, doesn't change the fact that you're blocking on offense really across the board. Um was not what I'm sure South Carolina had hoped. And frankly, even though I know Georgia State is very, very good, they're actually great at stopping the run for their level. Chris, I thought there would be a little more room to operate running game-wise and on the perimeter. Well, and South Carolina built – it's game plan. And Shane Beamer said this around, uh, I think he went to it on, on Sunday night in his teleconference a lot. They built their game plan around being able to do more on the perimeter. Now, Carolina fans may say, and I've wondered the same thing, you know, kind of why is that? Well, we don't know other than obviously that's what they thought was best. My estimation 
is that they probably thought that was a better matchup for them based on what they can do and probably what Georgia State does on defense. And if you watch back, Wes, I know both of us, I've completed a rewatch this morning after seeing it live. In theory and in concept, I can see why attacking the perimeter might have been a point of emphasis because the plays were there a lot of times. But I think the perimeter blocking, meaning uh, tight ends and receivers on both outside runs and on, in the quick game, in the screen game, it was every bit as poor as whatever we think of the offensive line. And so when we think about the blocking for this game, we really do need to think of it in those terms. And there are issues with both. But I think the perimeter blocking by those position players, not the offensive line, has almost gone a little bit like that's something we need to shed light on because it is going to be critical this season that they're able to do that. Now, another part of the game plan may have been, look, they're miss, missing Christian Beal Smith. Marshawn Lloyd showed us some glimpses of what he can do in this game. And thinking about it, they're outside runs. That's his forte, bouncing outside. Juju McDowell, what's his best run? Outside runs. Mm. So, you know, some of their – Jaheim Bell – good in space, in the flats. So it made sense, but far too often they were beat to their spot by defenders. They didn't make their blocks. And so it was it was tough sledding, you know, and that's something that they're going to have to get corrected or find a way to mask, you know, throughout the rest of the season. Could it be a one-game aberration? Maybe so, but it, it definitely wasn't good enough in game one. Yeah, and the, the perimeter blocking, that's something that, this uh, this group kind of prides themselves on. Like, that's a huge priority within this program. So I'm sure not fun moments on Sunday film review as far as some of that stuff goes. But I, I do, Chris, I tend to think some of that stuff is going to get cleaned up. Uh, I think the bigger issue is when they were r- trying to run the football inside and just could not get movement. Like, that yep. – that should be concerning quite quite a bit, I, I think, because I thought going into year two now, there was going to be just a greater comfort level that was going to then lead to more success up front. Again, I, I'm very strongly in the, hey, it is one game category, fully willing to wait and see what happens, but also not going to completely discount it and just pretend, you know, that it was great either. There, there were a lot. There were a lot of positives from this game, I think. But then I feel like the negatives were like fairly big, fairly concerning negatives, uh, which is the scary thing for South Carolina fans. I didn't even complete uh, complete off my list. Uh, Jalen Brooks, big stock up. Marshawn Lloyd, stock up. Uh, Nick Emanwari, and, and a lot of these, maybe I shouldn't even say stock up. I should just say confirmed what we thought. Um, Nick Emanwari confirmed. Mo Kaba, I thought was extremely active, Chris. Um, you know who I thought up front, like quietly was pretty disruptive, was Jordan Birch. It seemed like he, he made some plays. I thought he had a, a pretty solid day. Um, overall, and one of the comments said nobody's talking about the defense. We're talking about the defense. We're going to talk about the defense. I thought overall, for a group that, yes, we have high expectations for them, Chris, you're still talking about a defensive line that has had to replace actually three starters from last year. 
Granted, these were all guys that played quite a bit last year. Boogie didn't really, but the two edge guys did. Zach Pickens did. And then, you know, Mo Kaba is a new starter as well. Um, one of your safeties is a new starter, is a transfer, a new player. By the second drive, both of your safeties were new players. So, you know, I tend to say, all right, we had pretty high expectations for these guys. We have to remember this was their first game ever together as a unit. I I thought the defense was encouraging. Like, I, I, I felt like from that first drive on, you know, they had the big run. They had a couple of gash runs in that first drive. As the game progressed, there was a stretch where they played extremely well, all hats to the football, covered up against the run much better, let their linebackers roam and make plays. I, I thought it was pretty solid on the defensive side. Yeah, I, I think the biggest concern in this game, Wes, from when I was looking at it defensively for South Carolina wasn't even what we saw with a few – explosive plays they didn't have a bunch they had they had a few um they had one long pass right that was a competitive 50 50 ball they came away with it good play by the receiver and they had a few longer runs uh that but that was it and i think the bigger concern for south carolina wasn't even the explosive runs it was just them six yarding you to death that's what you had to avoid and as you pointed out with the number of three and outs that south carolina was able to force and then when they were able to bow up, you know, the fourth down stop early in the game, a prime example of that was huge. They had some explosive plays, had some, you know, some of those, sh- you know, shorter but still very substantial gains on that drive. Those were the big plays. So I do think there were some things. I want to go back to offense too in a little while, by the way. Defensively, I agree. You know, Zach Pickens, I think as the game went on, became more and more disruptive. Boogie Huntley looked solid. Strawn and Birch, you know, I think South Carolina's pressure was able, what was Granger, 7 of 29, not extremely efficient, forced some errant throws, forced some quicker throws, I think, than he wanted. And they were able to, while they gave up, yeah, you could say they gave up too many rushing yards and too many explosives. Still a a to-be-determined, you know, in terms of this rush defense, but I thought a net positive in that game, based on what we saw. Um Gilbert Edmond got in, did some things, looked quick. And here, here's a big one, linebacker depth. We talked about it coming into the season, how we thought it would be better. I don't want to completely, you know, mark that down in permanent marker, but I really think it is a better situation. Um, Sherrod Green didn't play at all, but we still saw more depth. Mo Cabo looked very quick out there. Brad Johnson had a good game. Shane Beamer said, what he named him the defensive player of the game, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, defensive. So he had a good game. Physical presence out there. We saw Stone Blanton get in. Uh, Debo Williams was very active. So they've got, especially when Green comes back, they've got five or six guys they feel good about at linebackers. So, um, yeah, I thought that was that was the biggest takeaway I had is that they were able to control more of what Georgia State wanted to do and limit their possessions and the time that they had the football. Yeah, Stone Stone Blanton is a massive dude, by the way. Huge dude. Uh, He got in late. Um, P.J. Sanders, I think, got in a defensive tackle a little bit late. They were able to to kind of rotate some guys in. Um, The the pressure to me, Chris, was not – the sack numbers 
were not indicative of what the actual pressure on Granger was. Like I, I felt like not that they not that he had pressure on every single play, but there was pretty consistent pressure when he had to actually drop back. Um, you know, your guy Gilbert Edmond, as you said, he went firing off the ball um at, at one point. And there there was a play when, where he and Tyreek Johnson were in the field at the same time and they both just whipped their guy and then were like about to meet in the middle at the quarterback. So good for Tyreek, um, kid that's waited his turn, worked through injuries, maybe was kind of on that track where you thought, you know, realistically, he may not ever be able to like make a big contribution here and has hung in there, is playing on the second team on the defensive front. I thought, Chris, you could tell, as, as we've talked about, you can tell what spots the coaches feel really good about their depth based on rotations. And it seemed like up front, fairly early on, MJ Webb was in the game, Taka Hemingway was in the game. A little bit later on, Gilbert Edmond was in the game at edge, Tyreek Johnson was in the game at edge, Debo Williams was in the game at linebacker. Um, you know, DQ Smith was in the game at safety. As we know, even Worry was in the game at safety, necessitated by injury. We saw some rotation at nickel with Spalding getting in the game. We didn't see the rotation yet at cornerback, except for when Darius Rush got banged up. For most of the actual key minutes in this game, they kept those guys on the field. But that is kind of our expectation, right? I feel like those – those are that's kind of how we thought it was as far as the spots you feel good about versus the spots that are a little bit more thin. Yeah, I mean, you would anticipate the DQ Smith and Nicky Minwari, both true freshmen, both from Columbia area, um, are gonna probably continue that, right? I mean, DQ Smith obviously ran a a punt block, the punt that Rashad Amos uh, blocked, ran that back, got plenty of snaps. Nicky Minwari, Wes, um, like you said, necessitated by injury when R.J. Roger went down, but made an immediate impact. I think the second play he was out there, the fourth down stop, which was critical, ended up playing the second most snaps on the defense. I think Cam Smith was number one, even more he was number two. And so regardless of the injury situation to Roderick, if he continues coming along and being productive, you know, it may be hard to keep him out of the starting lineup ultimately. So, yeah, I think that's something we saw. I mean, you would feel you feel great if you're if you're a South Carolina fan that you have more depth at safety than you've had. Even if it's two true freshmen, they feel like they're good enough to put out there, and they may indeed be. That's a huge kind of weight off your shoulders. It makes you feel a lot better. Certainly at linebacker, they've got more guys they can trust. And um, if if Gilbert Edmond, Tyreek Johnson can play well behind the starters and if Birch and Strawn are playing well we know they've got some guys that tackle you know you feel a lot better about being able to stay fresh defensively which was an issue you know at times last year yeah DQ smelled the end zone on that punt block too that was a that that was an awesome play for him I mean anytime I mean the the sideline was just insane on both of those block punts and uh by the way be on the lookout for my interview coming up uh presented by Garnet Trust with Darius Rush. We talked about those guys a little bit. He, Darius was absolutely thrilled for DQ. Like, you can tell these young guys, um, it, it's kind of interesting when the young guys come up and the older guys can sense it 
like they can smell it. They know they know who is ready to help. And um, Darius talked about DQ, talked about Nick, talked about Kawan Banks, and um, you know these guys have already earned a great deal of respect among their more veteran, more experienced teammates. And so th- those guys are going to play. And, um, man, we've talked about Nick a ton going into the season. So I don't think it's a surprise, but it's still – it's one of those things you like to see it confirmed for yourself, like with your own eyeballs. He may be better than I anticipated. There – there were a couple of plays where he like was making a jump on the ball at his size, the like explosive, like quick twitch athletic ability, both coming up against the run, but also breaking on passes could be pretty special. I think he, he's got great athletic ability and he, and he's huge. You know, and he he just has a really good feel for the game. The guy's just a football player. That's I think that's how Shane Beamer described DQ Smith. He gave him the the very you know that's high praise is what I'm trying to say. Couldn't spit it out, but I mean, I think you made that point. If you get called a football player by a coach, you're doing something right. But Nick's in that same boat. I mean, this guy played, you know, safety, linebacker, defensive end, wide receiver. Like he played a bunch of positions at the high school level because he's he's kind of a unicorn type of player. I mean, he can even little small things. I noticed, I mean, he had a tackle, I think it was on a first down run, but he was coming from across the field. And, you know, the Georgia State running back, it might have been Jemias Williams, tried to almost give him a little shake and Nick just didn't bite on it. You know, he was able to stop himself and keep the angle. Like there's just little things there um, that you might not expect young players to be able to have. He just, he's just got it, you know? And so the, these two guys, it, it, the funny thing, Wes, you know, so Eamon Worry, Smith, Kawan Banks, those are probably the guys that weren't getting talked about. Like they were deemed like the back half of the 2022 class because you had Anthony Rose, Emory Floyd Jr., Keenan Nelson Jr. Those are the three like four star guys. So everybody's talking about them. Rose enrolled early. Well, these three guys, especially Banks, they're just like, no, I'm I'm gonna be the one, you know, playing Kawan Banks, scrappy, not a big dude, but he's out there playing. Just, that's that's a great sign for the future of the secondary. Yeah, I mean, I would say especially DQ and Kawan Banks. I think with Eamon Worry, whether regardless of whatever he was ranked, right, in house, like I, I think Carolina kind of knew they're like, all right, we got a guy that's got a chance. But um, you know, I mean, DQ was a late blue shirt take. I mean, DQ did not sign on signing day; he enrolled. So very late take. He's a quarterback in high school, but man, that just tells you what the upside is. If this guy can play. Get ready to play at the SEC level this quickly. Come and play in quarterback. I mean, the sky is the limit for this kid. And then Banks. I mean, Georgia State did what coaches, what good OCs do. Darius Rush has to come out of the game. He gets banged up. Banks goes in. What do you do? 
pick on let's go pick on the little freshman. Gets a pass breakup the first play of his career, I'm pretty sure, as far as defense goes. I think he was out there on some special teams. But um, yeah, that's that's a mindset, man. That that was impressive. So those guys I think are gonna play quite a bit for South Carolina. We're we're gonna go back to the offense in a second, guys. But final thought on the defense, that early fir- that early fourth and one stop set the tone for the entire game, I think, defensively. But how about the team effort on that play? Zach Pickens smashing his guy into the backfield. Uh, Chris, you made this point on the radio show. Mo Kaba comes flying out of a cannon, um, blows up the play. I mean, then you have, I guess, Nick cleaning it up. I mean, that was that that was impressive. They they dialed. I mean, they gave up a couple of big plays early on, but then. They they dialed in and they could smell it that they had a chance to get off the field. I feel like on that third down and that fourth down, they played aggressively on defense, which was which was kind of cool to see. I mean, they sent you go back and look at third downs, which they were able to force a good many. And yeah, they didn't get to Granger, and I think part of that is style of play. We knew the book on Granger is he does not make a lot of mistakes. What was the Kendall stat four interceptions? I think he's like two hundred eighty eight attempts. Doesn't put the ball in danger a lot. Gets it out quickly. So we saw that. But if you're making them throw it quickly, you've got some good coverage guys like South Carolina does. That's a positive for you. So they were dialing it up. The linebackers were flying around. You look at how they chased the ball to the perimeter. It was pretty impressive. One of the longer runs was right up the middle. You know, they just got kind of a hat on a hat and and gashed them a little bit. But, yeah, they, they were aggressive all game. You look at the defensive backs even. Got a couple PIs, um, you know, in there. Marcellus Dial got beat on one deep ball, but the, the theme was they were aggressive. Um, there was only one play, really, that they gave up in the passing game where it wasn't a very, very contested play, and that's what you want. You want your guys to be in position to make a play. Wes, before we move back to wherever you're taking us next, I want to make sure we mention, um, we mentioned some of the guys that played, right, defensively. Um, also freshmen, there were three more guys that played on special teams only. Donovan Westmoreland, Keenan Nelson Jr., and Xavier Short from Chapin. Uh, those three guys did see some special team snaps on Saturday night too. So just another little something to watch there. I know Shane Beamer and Pete Limbo both said a bunch of guys were going to play on special teams. We figured it would be the, that kind of core four, the mm. three DBs and then Stone Blanton. All those guys also played, but those other three. So they did. They played seven true freshmen, you know, on special teams or defense on Saturday. Had a question about on Joyner, why he wasn't on the field. Um, he is dealing with a little bit of a calf injury. Got in there for one play. It was like so random because he, he hadn't played at all. We had heard he was banged up. Then, so I wasn't expecting him to play. Then I think it was like third quarter, man. It was, it was later in the game. I was like, oh, Joyner's in. And I almost for a moment thought, is this a trick play? Like, is this going to be – did they put him in to throw a double pass or something? But uh, I don't remember what the play call was. But then I think he was right back out after that uh, play. Let's see. Got any more questions right now? Um, yeah, Brian asked about Isaiah Norris. Has he been passed on the depth chart? Yes, that's a good question. I, I guess so. It looked like for a stretch last year, you know, Isaiah was kind of the next in line. We saw him play in the bowl game. 
Um, but yeah, not not on the field really much um, at all as far as the DB locate or DB rotation, I should say. Um, Marshawn Lloyd, man, he he's got a little more power, like a little more thump than I think you necessarily expect from him. We knew he was going to be quick when he came in. He had the injury. He looks back to himself, I feel like. Well, he he kind of brought his entire bag of tricks just about. And obviously the opportunities were more limited for him in the run game as far as how many you know looks he got. Um, and two of his best plays were in the passing game. He had the one what was kind of like a little angle route type of thing, uh, first play of the game, 15 yards. Um, and then he had the pass, you know, where he caught the ball out in the flat, just a quick throw from Spencer Rattler, easily made a guy miss. I mean, just made it look easy. But you look at a lot of the other plays. I mean, the touchdown that he scored on the little quick pitch, just having the quickness and speed to beat the guy to the pylon and the balance to keep yourself in bounds and, and hit the pylon. Um, you look at the hurdle play. You're right, running hard. You know, even when he's got some guys on him, so he's not just a finesse runner. So that that was great to to see Marshawn out there looking fully healthy, looking like the kind of high school five star recruit Marshawn. I anticipate more big plays from him this season. And that was really good to see. Um, Rattler South Carolina debut. Chris, I thought um, I thought it was kind of twofold, man. Like for one, there's some plays I'm sure if we had Spence on, he would want back. Um, there were also some plays where I said Rattler gives this offense a, a chance. You know, like I, I thought, you know, we had very much anticipated, and I think told people to anticipate his ability outside the pocket on the edge to move around, then throw the football is kind of maybe his most elite trait, in my opinion. And we saw that both on, you know, a design play action rollout, the way he could get the ball out. There's one to Antoine Wells, I think, on the first drive of the game that was a seed. Um, the big throw to Jalen Brooks. Um, there was a throw where he sort of rolled to his left. I think this was the drive right after Georgia State had scored and taken the lead, and South Carolina had their best offensive drive of the game. Rattler – avoided pressure, and then just flicked the ball out and uh, ended up going for a big gain. His ability to just create things is what's going to give this offense the chance. And I I think the fact that he didn't even play his absolute best, but he still threw for, I think, 230 yards, Chris, made some big plays with some upside to go, speaks on why you probably shouldn't give up on this offense after one game. I also left myself thinking, man, if they could just give him a little bit of running game moving forward to take a little bit of that pressure off, then he's going to give them a chance because we got to remember this was his first game in this offense. Yes, he's played a lot of ball in his career. Yes, he did have a full season under this belt at Oklahoma. This is very, very different as far as offensive scheme and what he's being asked to do. Yeah, and, and look, he he looked in command during the game in terms of how he administered the offense. But you're right, there were some plays that I think he would want back. 
I found it interesting, Wes, that after the game, I don't know if you guys – I always try to catch uh, Todd Ellis' locker room report with the coaches on 107.5 after the game. Every now and then there'll be, you know, something different than just the press conference. And Shane Beamer, I'm pretty sure the way – the exact way he said it was Todd asked him how he thought Spencer played, and he mentioned some of those same things, same things, hey, it's the first game. And Beamer said, I thought he played okay. You know, and so that – I think both those things are true. I He actually played better than I thought when I went back and rewatched because of what you said, Wes. His ability to make some plays and throws that, quite frankly, nobody else on the roster can make or do it, is going to give them a chance. Um, he's a guy that can bail you out in a lot of situations. The, the ability – I, I got to wonder if they're going to start moving the pocket more just by design because his ability to yes. roll out, I mean, that should be in the bag for next week and, and the whole season. It is absolutely elite. His, some of his be- his best plays of the game came in that. When he did get some time, when Georgia State brought like a four-man pressure, he was able to deliver some balls, a couple of them. One was the Stogner push-off, one Josh Van dropped. Um, You know, he made some other big throws. So – I think from an arm talent standpoint, we saw it navigating the pocket, buying time. We saw that. And I think it's something for Rattler to build on. I don't think that's all of what he is, but he showed us, you know, some glimpses of that. Yeah, and I I think um, I was thinking of those exact plays you just mentioned, man. The Stog push off, the van drop. I mean, there were some things in the passing game, Chris, that I think were just – I mean, a t- like just a hair off, like probably stuff that gets cleaned up, that gets fixed. Uh, the interception uh, that was thrown to Marion Brown, you know, it's a little – the ball's out late, the ball's high, but it does hit his fingertips. If not – if if like – it had to be a perfect bad storm on that one, you know what I mean? Like if the ball's a little bit higher, if Amari makes a little bit better catch, if the ball is thrown a little bit quicker, if one of those three things is a little bit better, it might be incomplete, but it's probably not picked off, you know? So that's just kind of a game one trying to get on the same page. I think one of the last things Beamer said last week in his Tuesday presser, when he was asked, like, you know, what are you not concerned about, but kind of looking forward to learning or seeing as the season goes on. One of the things that surprised me a little bit, Chris, was when he said, you know, hey, these receivers and this quarterback have not played together before. And he still he mentioned they were still working on their timing. So I think I think there are little things with the passing game that are going to clean up relatively quickly. And and I think Wes that he was pressing. I think Spencer even said that he pressed on some plays. Mm. And, and we knew coming into this year that Spencer was going to have more pressure on him than he did at Oklahoma, whether that was scheme, the, the supporting cast around him. In game one, it would be easy for him in that situation to press a little bit. And like the interception to Juice Wells, I get the sense that there was a little bit of a disconnect on what Spencer thought Juice Wells was going to do, just judging on the on the body language afterwards. Um, but Spencer also cited that as the one throw he wanted back. You know, he he could have run it, which he said. He also had Juju right there. I think it was a third and two, wasn't it? Forced that one. Um, 
one of the downfield throws, he tried Josh Van one-on-one, which is not a bad idea, but he had Trey Kenyon in the flat. There were a couple times where he didn't recognize like a nickel or corner blitz and maybe needed to get it out faster, um, check it down. But those are things that, again, I mean, you're talking about getting a little nitpicky, you know, on a guy that can – if the other stuff around that can get fixed more, mm. then I think you're you're going to continue to see him make some, some of the type of plays that kind of define how talented Spencer Rattler is. Yeah, I think just knowing when to take your shots, when you know when to drop it off to Juju on that that third down, the third down, like you got to just drop it off to Juju. And I think I imagine that was one of those things. As soon as it happened, Spencer was probably like, "Why did I do that?" You know, because it was you had the lead. It was a third and short. There's plenty of room. Juju's going to run for 15 more yards, possibly, if I remember correct on that play, but. Anyway, yeah, so, solid debut, man. Like, I don't, I don't care about the numbers or the QBR or whatever that other BS is. Um, he gave the offense a chance when they could not run the football. So there's something to be said for your quarterback having to do a third and like nine yards every third down, you know. Um, and the ball to Josh Fan that uh, Josh couldn't hold on to was a freaking missile, too. How about the one? I mean, Jalen Brooks, how about the one he caught from Spencer? An absolute – it, like, just manifested yeah. itself in front of his hands. It got there so fast. And the body control on that one might have been just as impressive as that layout catch he had on the sideline. That was not an easy ball to catch. Yeah, and so how how about Jalen Brooks? Yeah. I mean, you know, Chris, we we kind of joke on, on the other show, on the radio show, I know uh, – Preston Thorne hates the oars on depth chart, depth chart oars. I I thought the oars were the oars were vindicated this week. They were. There was a reason that it was Leggett and Wells, a reason it was Amarian Brown to carry on Joiner. But that we also found out that the Jalen Brooks, Josh Van, or was not. But that it had a reason too, that it had a point, you know. Jalen Brooks looked like a guy with something to prove. He did. I mean, what was it? Five catches. Uh, the layout catch on the sideline was, I mean, great throw by Spencer because that was Jalen's catching this or nobody's catching it. Um, and and look to to say what I've been thinking and maybe others are. Jalen had some struggles earlier in his career with consistency in terms of his hands. And he looked very reliable on Saturday night. Um, you know, he had the layout catch. He had the one I cited from Spencer that was like, I mean, that thing was coming hot. It was like you're standing two feet in front of a jugs machine or something. And he he was able to snag that one. He had the other. Wes almost had a touchdown. You know, that little uh, across the middle play. I think it was on maybe a second 16 or something like that. Uh, caught the ball from Spencer in stride. If he got one more block. A little shallow Maybe cross. Yeah, a little shallow cross. He may have been running for a touchdown on that one. So, did, did a really nice job, and that that was great to see. Um, you know, a lot of other receivers, whether it's Van or Xavier Leggett, who had a quiet night, or you know, Brown or who, whoever it may be, you know, the transfer guys, Jalen Brooks kind of got lost a little bit, um, but he he showed that he has the ability to be a, you know, significant part of the offense. 
Definitely, man. By the way, y'all, as you know, this show is not only presented by our good buddy, Clint Hammond, but also is sponsored by our friends at Liberty Tax right here in Columbia. They'll help you overcome your tax anxiety at 803-462-5576. Of course, tax time is over, but if you own a small business and you need advice, maybe some bookkeeping and payroll services for LLCs, S-Corps, C-Corps, or if you unfortunately owe money to the IRS, you can meet with a local pro to represent you in settling your debt rather than calling a stranger on a late-night 1-800 number. They've got a new location at 551 St. Andrews Road. They've got a Lexington office at 1123 South Lake Drive, and they have an Irmo office by the Kroger at 7467 St. Andrews Road. Again, 803-462-5576. Overcome your tax anxiety with our friends at Liberty Tax. Chris, um, what have we not covered, man? True. Should we talk a little bit more about – we talked about perimeter blocking. We talked about the offensive line. We touched on it. But what is – shout out, Dalton. Good strategy. Um, what is the problem, though? Do we know? Here, here's – let me reiterate a point I made earlier on the Gamecock Central Takeover Hour. I think some one of the reasons that people are, are so concerned, probably the primary reason, is that you now they're not just taking this one game sample size. Mm-hmm. Shane Beamer has said that they would, you know, not he's not going to overreact. We know that fans will overreact on one play <laughs> out of an entire season, which is great. That's why they're fans, um, and we love them all. But. You know, if it was just one game, like this is a brand new staff, it's first year with this personnel, people could say, okay, yeah, it's game one. You know, it happens. But I think people have kind of like a PTSD from last year where they're saying this is just carryover from last year. Mm -hmm. You know, and and especially with the offensive line, which was probably the biggest topic of conversation last year. So, a, is it a continuation of last year, or should we just kind of let it stand on its own? And B, like, what what are the issues with the offensive line as far as why they're not getting, or in, at least in this game, didn't get consistent push? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a valid question. Is, is this game one or is this game 14? Yeah. You know, like uh, some some people will see it as game one. Many people will see it as game 14. Uh, the cop out easy answer is that the truth is in the middle because whenever you have whenever you have a fan base and whenever you have people with very strong opinions, the truth is almost always 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 in the middle. It's never it's never the full you know extremely passionate uh, you know thought process this direction or this direction. Mm-hmm. It's um, yes, they deserve another week or two to show if they can improve, but yes. You can't sit here and blindly just ignore that there were some of the same issues present Saturday yeah. that we saw much of last year. So why not both? I think it's both um, in, in this case. The, my biggest question or my, my biggest sort of thing is like, all right, can this be fixed? Um. And how do you fix it? Is it at what point? And I don't think it's this week, Chris, but I I could see 
trying to think of how to say this. You have more options to fix this thing this year than you did last year. Yep. And I know these are your veteran guys on the offensive line. I get it. And I know they've earned the start at this point. Um, they've worked incredibly hard to get this point. But how quickly do you hit the shuffle button on the offensive line? That would be – I don't know if we're there yet, but you can't let it go too far into the season. Yeah. Is yeah. That valid? It's very valid. You know, and I, and I fall in the middle of that too because you – you know, if there's a, a receiver out there that you've noticed, you know, struggled in perimeter blocking in game one, maybe you have to look at it and you might have to narrow his role down, you know. Um, maybe, like you said, you, you look at some shuffles in your personnel up front. We, we don't know that yet. I mean, obviously, Ja'Kai Moore came in the game when Jalen Nichols went down with injury, and that was – by all accounts, a fairly close battle. But do you take a look at some other guys in practice or in a game? Maybe so. Um, I think I'm going to go back to this in terms of the offensive line for this year, this game, in terms of inside running. I still don't think people have talked enough about losing Kevin Harrison to Quandre White just because of the presence of a healthy Marshawn Lloyd, having Juju McDowell, adding CBS, who obviously didn't play in game one as a transfer, is still a significant thing. You're talking about a guy who was one of the best backs in the country in 2020, and then Zaquandre White, who did a great job last year as well, and Kevin Harris came on towards the end of last year. You look at the run, the rushers that they had for game one, Marshawn and Juju, those are both more of outside runners. Maybe that was part of the game plan, but no doubt, regardless of who they got at running back when Christian Beal Smith, who may return for Arkansas or it's Juju or whoever it may be, they are going to have to have more success running the football, both up the middle and on the perimeter. Both will be important. And we didn't see a lot of that in game one. So I think we're back kind of at that point where you don't really know what the answers are or, or kind of why it's here. And I don't think this offensive line is top five in the conference in terms of talent. I don't think that. I don't think the offense overall is. Um, but it does have to be better than what we saw in game one. I also am not going to go to the extreme of saying this is just game 14 because there are differences from that, namely in personnel. Um, and personnel did have a lot to do with what we saw last season too, namely at quarterback. So it'll be interesting. I think we'll have a better sense after the Arkansas game, first SEC opponent, um, more probably, I guess you could say, evenly matched in terms of the body types, the talent level, and so we'll know a lot more. Shane Beamer also said that, cited his dad, biggest improvements come from game one to game two. So they prob probably we should give them the opportunity to, you know, we shouldn't write the story of this team on offense after game one or the defense or the special teams. I think it was one game. It gave us some data. Still a lot to learn. Yeah, and I mean, I think um, you you have an opportunity to go clean things up now that you've seen your issues against another opponent. It is, as much as you try, it can be hard against yourself to, to necessarily know. And, you know, man, I mean, this is, this is a Georgia State team. We knew their strengths were going to be on the line of scrimmage. And I think – 
we wondered, you know, what does that mean for South Carolina? You expect to be bigger, stronger than this group. But Georgia State, like, give them a little bit of credit in this. Like, they did go out and do their jobs defensively. I'm in no way saying that means it's okay from the South Carolina perspective. But give give them a, a little bit of a part of the credit, at least. I mean, they, they down the stretch, not playing against SEC teams now, I think they allowed 70-something yards on the ground in their bowl game. They allowed 57 yards on the ground on their final um, regular season game. I actually have that pulled up right now. Um, Troy Russ for for 57 yards on 38 carries for a 1.5-yard average. Um, their final regular season game last year. Um, trying to pull up the one. Because I, I was obviously at the game and I was re-watching. I haven't gotten all the way through it, but the announcer said something. It was a crazy stat of how many combined rushing yards they allowed the last few games of the year. Um, Arkansas State, which was not a good football team <laughs> by any means, this maybe means nothing. They rushed for negative three yards on 26 carries. It's pretty bad, Wes. I don't even know. That may be an all-time record for least number of yardage on most carries. But anyway, let's put it – let's keep it in perspective. Yeah, I think, man, that, you know, if it's week eight, week nine, we'll know about what this offense is. We still don't know right now. And another – to go back to another example I gave earlier, it – it might be kind of extreme or some people accuse me of making a bad comparison, but like you look at South Carolina's best team ever, 2012. They played Vandy to open that season. And they won, they put up 17 points. They eat, I think they won 17 to 13. I mean, absolutely eked it out. The rest of the season, for the most part, with the exception of, funny enough, the Wofford game, where they also struggled offensively, they're putting up 30 and 40 points a game. Most most games. There were some, there are a couple outliers in there in conference play. They're putting up a lot of 35s and 40s. A, not saying this team is as good as 2012. It's not go on record with that. And B, I don't know if this offense can get up to that type of level, you know, where there there's a few conference games, maybe they're scoring 35 points. If so, then that's a really good sign. The point is that you can't in a new season, in a new season where there's been some changes in terms of personnel and things, I don't think you can just say this is a continuation of last year. Um, if it continues, you know, if we're in week eight and we're talking about these same things here, then yes, I think that's fair. Chris, have you dove into Arkansas at all yet, man? Not a lot because uh been totally focused on Georgia State, but now we are – we're rapidly approaching turn the page territory. My first step, Wes, I didn't get to watch much of any of the Arkansas-Cincinnati game. Um, Same. Really good game from the parts that I did see. Very, very competitive. Um, I got to sit down and watch that in its entirety is going to be my first step, today or tomorrow. Yeah, the only, uh, the only thing about home games is you do kind of lose – that opportunity, but first glance, Rocket Sanders, a guy that we're both very familiar with, um, really big day, 
at running back for them. And then KJ Jefferson, man, 18 for 26, 223 yards and three touchdowns. Mm-hmm. Have a day, man. That's that is impressive against a Cincinnati program that obviously, um, you know, has been extremely good lately. So that, that was a nice win for Arkansas and certainly a game that South Carolina is going to have to play well to win. Um, I tend to think it, it's going to be tighter than people think at first glance, but that's without watching them. The line on this game opened at um, right at eight on Sunday. About right, I think. So we got the whole week to talk about it, though. Reminder, Tuesday will be our evening show. Mike Eva will be doing that. Chris and I will be back 2 o'clock Wednesday afternoon. And, uh, by the way, if you didn't catch it on Saturday night, we also have a post-game show now as well that uh, Mike will be doing right after the game ends on Saturday. So be on the lookout for that. Um, all right, y'all, we're at an hour for Chris. I'm Wes. Appreciate y'all's support. We got a ton of people on here right now. That is awesome to see. If you're not subscribed to our YouTube page, we're putting out more video than we ever have before. So hit the subscribe button. Obviously, all the YouTube content is free. And check out GamecockCenter.com. That content is not free, but you can join right now. $10 for your first year on GC. We are hitting all-time numbers at this point. So we appreciate the support. Appreciate each and every one of you. Y'all have a good one. We'll see you on Wednesday.